0: Well, good morning, glad to have you this morning and and looking forward to continuing in our worship as we continue into a series that we've been going through in Philippians. Uh, But before we get started, one of the things that I just wanted to point out, if you're in here and for some reason maybe you left home and there was the dirty diaper that happened and as you're trying to run out the door, you forgot your Bible. Uh, We have Bibles here. Or maybe you got here and you just don't have a Bible. So, um, if anybody, if you need a Bible, would you raise your hand this morning with us? And I have Bruce in the back who would be happy to give you one of these. And, and basically, it just helps us follow along. We want to surrender our lives to what Christ has revealed through his word. And so, we'll reference scripture. We're going to be looking at it together. And so, I want to make sure that that's something that you have. I think, oh, maybe a couple more. There we go. Good. Well, as we're getting ready to talk through Philippians, there's one thing that kind of came to my mind, and any of you in here watch Amazing Race, ever? Okay, maybe a few, okay, not too many people, well, all right, so Amazing Race, the concept of the game, they're, they're sending these people racing all through the world, and one of the things that happened, there was, there was this one episode, my family and I, we kind of like watching these every so often, and one of the things that the challenge that they gave a family to do was to take a herd of sheep, and I have a picture uh, back here, and this was this experiment that they were given. If you look in the upper right-hand corner, there are various different fences along the way, and you see somebody all the way off in the distance, and that's where they started with these sheep. And they started clear over on this other side, and their object was to try to get them in a corral in the bottom. Now, not many of these people had ranching or, or any type of background being around livestock or anything. And so it was hilarious to watch this whole process. And so this guy that you see on here, man, he's doing his best to try to wrangle these sheep. And and so as he's out there, all of a sudden what he's going to do is he goes running over, he runs over the sheep. Hey, 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 what do you think the sheep start doing? Bing! they're going this way and that way. And this partner's going over here, trying to chase him back toward him. And then he goes running. They, they, they split. And they're like, how on earth we are going to be here forever. And you have some people that are like, do we just quit? Do we go on to the next challenge? What are we going to do? Oh my goodness, this is hard. And I was laughing, thinking about things this morning, because I think in kind of an ironic fashion, if we go to the next slide, there's a term that is used of us often <laughs> in scripture. And it's, It's sheep, and I I laugh because there's this guy named uh, Ken Davis. He he does comedy, and one of the things that he was talking about, he was like, "Sheep, man, a sheep. Of all the things God could call us, like why not like a wolf or like something with some guts and some, you know, something that's like cool, a bear, something. We're called sheep, and yet then we start thinking of passages like what we talked about this last summer, and that's the Lord is our shepherd." And we're sheep of his pasture. And we start to realize that, man, so often, yeah, I think he'd used a really good term for us. And sometimes we're hard to wrangle. We're hard to kind of get to go a way that we need to go. We can read through scripture and see how, how, how Israel, they kind of like to scatter and go all different ways and, and chase after other things. And yet God faithfully walked with them as a shepherd. And then even gave others as shepherds to lead sheep. And so, one of the things that that comes to my mind this morning, and I think you'll have to understand the text that we're going to be getting into, is this concept of shepherd sheep relationship. And so, if we even think about a passage, a passage that came to mind with me is is Paul, he's making his journey, getting ready to go back through to Jerusalem prior to actually being imprisoned, which we're talking about in, in Philippians. And He's sitting with a group of shepherds, and he gives an encouragement to the shepherds. And here's what he says. Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, And so he's sitting with a group of men who are now going to be charged in Ephesus with walking with this group of people. And he's saying, oh man, watch over your life. These precious people who have been blood bought by Jesus are now being entrusted to your care and you're going to walk with them and try to help them grow in their faith. In another passage in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 8, Paul talks about this type of shepherding that is to happen and what it's to look like. He says, but we were gentle among you. Listen to the descriptions. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. This is ministry. This is shepherding ministry of what a shepherd looks like taking care of sheep. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Later on in the same book, he says, You know how like a father with his children we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Shepherding is this care of God, and there's terms that are used in there, gentle. There's terms of affection. And here at Cheyenne Berean, we have shepherds that are charged with the care of us. And that's Darius Becker. I mentioned it last week. It's Richard Crocker. It's myself. It's Tristan, who is up here leading leading worship. It's Brad, who is helping arrange and and, and set us off in, in, in ministry going off to Columbia. And as a team of people were coming together and trying to offer shepherding care like what was described here in this passage. Well, and this sounds great, but the reality is, is in shepherding, just like I was as I was watching the amazing race, and you had those folks that are out shepherding sheep, it's tough work. It is hard to shepherd. And and and, and we want these men to do it with the Spirit of God. With grace, with strength, and we, we pray for our shepherds to have that. And what Paul's going to be talking about in here has everything to do with shepherding and care. Because the reality is that sometimes as sheep, we don't get along. And what do we do? How do we bring back harmony when there's disjointed and, and, and when, as, as a flock, maybe like, you, like I was given the illustration, the guy walked up to the flock and they, they split. How do you bring harmony to a group that has now panicked and gone either way? What do you do? How do you do it? And Paul's going to give instruction on how this is to take place. And so I've asked Daris as one of our shepherds to come up and read the passage of Scripture for us today. And just ask us to stand, just in honor of the Word of God, and he'll be reading the text. And it's also going to be behind us on the screen, and follow along and pay attention, pay close attention to this aspect of bringing harmony back. How is Paul going to do that? Go ahead. Philippians 4, 1 through 3. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I uh, entreat uh, Yodia and also entreat uh, Cynthica to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companions, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Thank you. Go ahead and be seated. This is going to be a fun passage to talk through. I've actually been looking forward to talking through this passage, because as Paul has been dealing with sometimes very theological, heavy notes and and things that do have practical implications in our lives, right now what he's going to be doing is he's actually going to be dealing with this and saying, there's a very practical situation that's facing you. How do we navigate this? And he's going to be giving instruction to, to the church there that is also going to be helpful for us to pay attention to. So just by way of us kind of moving forward, the the next slide that I have, I want to give us an overview to make sure that we kind of understand some of the contour of what's happening. And then what I'd like us to do is eventually work work our way into eight things that can help us in bringing harmony back from looking at this text. I think Paul's giving instruction that can help us as we look at the text and see how is it that we can help be a part of bringing unity and restoring and having helping people agree with one another in the Lord. So overview, basic stuff. I'm not going to go through anything too crazy here. There's disunity between two women. What are their names? And, and yeah right we, we, we kind of mumble through those the, the, the two people that were just mentioned up there, they were in the passage, darn it, and so we have these two women they' they 're women in case you didn 't catch that, and they 're disagreeing and and so there 's a disagreement that 's happening between these two ladies and This is an odd thing for Paul to do. Normally when he's writing to churches, it's not like he's gonna go, hey, by the way, you who's doing this and and use the specific name, he doesn't normally do that. For him to actually mention these two women is significant. It probably means that the whole church is probably aware of this situation that's going on. This isn't happening off in the little coffee corner. Or maybe off in a home. This is something that the whole church, as they come together and they gather, they go, there's an elephant in the room. Two of them. And, and, and we're not being rude talking about these women. It's just, there's something going on here. And the church is going, how do we deal with this? And Maybe these two women are going, how do we deal with this? We don't know. And they're trying to figure out this issue. So there's disunity that's happening. It's even possible, I think, that and and reasonable to believe that it's even possible that I think the church wrote to Paul and said, Listen, there's this issue going on between these two women. How do we deal with this? And that maybe is, is even why Paul mentions it specifically, to say, You wrote to me about this. I'm going to talk to you about it. Either way, we know Paul knows what's going on. So he's addressing it. There's disunity As we look at the women and and kind of consider who they were and and what what they were like, did you catch what Paul mentions about these women? Were these just any person that was along or were they somehow connected to Paul? They're connected to him. They had labored alongside him. Not only him, but this guy named Clement. And then not only Clement, but all the rest of my fellow co-workers. This is somebody that Paul probably knows. He may have even met this person. When we read through in Acts 16, as he goes to the city, that may have been even some of the first few people that came to trust Christ. And here are these two women that arise and emerge, and they're potential leaders that are in the church. And he's going, listen, I know you. I labored alongside you. And there's disunity that's happening between these two. How do we address that? And the church is confused. And he's trying to give some things that would maybe help them. Well, clearly, one of the other things that we look at, well, what was it that caused the disunity? Well, there are so many guesses that have happened to this. Was one of them maybe more into this Judaistic philosophy of legalism, and that's what's kind of separating. Or maybe it's, it's something else. Maybe, maybe it's non-theological but important. We don't know. We really don't know. I, I think it's likely to say that it's probably not specifically theological because if it was theological, what would have Paul done? Uh, listen, this person's wrong. This person's right. Done. Case settled. Get over it. You know, uh, uh, okay, maybe not. He's gentle. He's, he works. Okay. But you get what I'm saying. Like, if this was clear-cut, if this was a theological issue, Paul would have just said, here's the issue, here's the answer. But he doesn't do that. So most likely, I'm going to say that this probably actually isn't a a, a deeply theological issue that can just be solved in this one letter. This is probably something that's important to these two people and to this, this, this culture, this church. But it's not necessarily something that is just easy to get over in one quick letter. Paul obviously wants there to be harmony between the two. And he even appoints a facilitator who's going to try to help these women get along. Well, this brings up a question for us. Uh, if we can go to the text in uh, verse 3, Gia, that would be helpful. He says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. Who is this true companion? Some people have thought maybe this is the whole church that's going to come together and try to help these two women get along. And so he's using True Companion as my partners in the gospel. You're together with me in this mission of the gospel. True Companion, come together and try to help these two come alongside one another and actually agree in the Lord. Help them have the same thinking on this issue. But even more likely, I think that this True Companion is an individual. Well, who would that individual be in a church that, that would maybe be assigned or appointed to oversee helping people get along? I think we may actually, instead of this word companion, the, the Greek word is susagos. What I think is it's probably actually a proper name. We could capitalize and put, instead of that translation, actually have Susagos. You, you are an elder of the church. Help these two come together. Your appointed task is an overseer of the church. Help these people come together and work this thing out. Take the initiative. Go help them. They can't figure it out on their own. I think that is far more likely, that it's an elder Paul wrote in the beginning of the book saying that I write to you church and then he specifically mentions the elders and deacons and I think this is one of those cases that he's speaking specifically to an elder and what is he charged with? Help them agree. Well, I don't know about you, if you know that this issue has been something that the church is going, I don't know how to deal with this. Let's maybe ask Paul. Paul's writing in. You would hope that Paul would maybe give him some idea of how he's supposed to take care of this, right? Because otherwise, this poor leader is going, okay, great, I'll try. But I think Paul actually gives some instruction to this guy. He's not just saying, well, good luck with that one. He gives him some instruction all throughout the letter. And even specifically in the text that we're looking at to see, here are some things that will help you. If you observe how I'm even interacting with you, this will help you in this situation. So we come back to this issue of of what is the question that we're going to be trying to answer? It's this. What can we learn from Paul to help bring harmony between one another? To the glory of God and to the good of one another. That's what Paul's writing to this group of people to do. He's saying, listen, I want you to come together. I want there to be harmony. I want there to be this same type of thinking. I want you to come together and feel the same. Think the same on this issue. Restore unity. Restore this harmony back to the glory of God and for the good of you all. What lessons can we learn from Paul on that issue? That's what's before us this morning. So as we think through that this morning... We'll look back into the text. And I have eight things that we're going to be talking through. So if you have a piece of paper or, or if you want to take pictures of, of the slides, feel free to do that as we go through. So what are ways that Paul encouraged this true companion, Susikos, to help them agree? First one that we look at is this. Humbly or Humility. Now, that isn't immediately in this text. When when, when he writes this to this group of people, we hear him say, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Now, not immediately in this text, but what we know clear back in chapter 2, he's actually been giving this whole argument of how is it that we're to stand? How do we stand firm? How do we deal with difficulty among one another? Well, it's quite simple. Don't do anything from selfish ambition, he says in Philippians 2, 3 through 4. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but to the interests of others. He's already addressed this with the church. And here we have two people that are coming together. And maybe what that issue that was happening between them is that main issue. They were looking out for only their own interests. They had their own selfish ambition. Man, maybe it was a, a group that was doing things a specific way, and this other group was doing it this way. And they're going, man, if you'd only do it my way, we'd be better. No, if you do it my way, we'd be better. And he's going, listen, the first thing that we have to get in coming together is stop looking out for your own interests. Look out for the interests of one another. Why? Because we're actually taking on this attitude, this characteristic of Christ who humbled himself. He didn't just look out for his own interests, he humbled himself and was obedient to the point of death, dying on the cross. That we want to look like that to the world, to one another. That I'm not just looking out for myself. So, how is it that we facilitate harmony? We do it humbly, first and foremost. Paul's already talked about that before. The other thing that we could look back just a little bit further back is we do it dependently. In 3 3, he mentions this that we are the circumcision. And notice what he describes on what notes us as the circumcision. What what is something that, that is something that we can say? This is who we are. He mentions that we're the circumcision, and how do we worship? We don't worship by the flesh. We worship by the Spirit of God. So anything that you're taking care of in the church, whether it's not just looking out for your own interests, looking out for the interests of others, this is something that I can't do in and of myself. We are doing this by the Spirit. I need the Spirit of God to work in me, to will and to act according to his good purpose, going back to chapter 2. I need him to do a supernatural work in my life. To help me look at my brother in a different way. To help me see things in a bigger picture than maybe just my own thing that I'm trying to build. So I do it humbly when I'm trying to pursue harmony. I do this dependently. So those are some things that I think Paul has been already trying to work and build prior to even coming to this issue. Well, now we kind of come a little bit closer to the text. And here's where I love this. What Paul's doing. Positionally. What on earth does that mean? Paul says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. What do I mean by positionally? If you have your Bibles, go back. Anytime we see that word, therefore, a good idea for me to do is to actually jump back And see, well, what was Paul talking about previously? What was he trying to argue that would maybe help him make his point? Well, just previously in verse 20, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven. Do you realize that this is something that has been granted to you through faith in Christ? Paul's talked about, and he's argued previously to that. He said, listen, I want to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness that's of my own, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That is how I'm made right with God. That's what makes me a citizen of heaven. And now he's writing to a group of people, and he's looking at them and saying, listen, our citizenship, our position is in heaven we belong to this king. And from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I belong to this kingdom of heaven. I belong to Jesus Christ. That's my position because of who I am in Christ. And if we pay attention to that when there's difficulty between each and every one of us, because sometimes the thing that happens when we're arguing with one another, what happens with that? Even if it's over something trivial who's right? No, I am. Right? Whoever said I am, you're wrong. Well, what am I doing? I'm making you the enemy. Your ideas, who you are, you're against me. And why would Paul look at a group of people who are, there's already difficulty, this problem is probably actually boiling and festering, and it's something that could actually kill in the future of the church. And he looks at them and goes, focus on your position and what you have in common. We are citizens of heaven. We belong to a savior, Jesus Christ. That means we're actually on the same team. This is friendly fire that's happening right now. We got to figure this out because I don't want to shoot you again and I don't want you shooting me. But there's friendly fire going on. We belong to the same person. How do we deal with this unity? How do we deal with problems in the church? In this case right here, he goes, remember, we're on the same team. He deals with it positionally. A common citizenship, a common savior. Well, why? What does he want them to do? We go back to to that passage in 4 verse 1. I think it's actually, uh, no, that's not up there yet. 4 verse 1, he says, My brothers whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, what does he want them to do? Stand firm. Thus, this is how you're supposed to stand firm. Stand firm this way, Paul is saying. Well, how do you stand firm? You stand firm on our position in Christ. You stand firm that our righteousness is from Christ. We stand firm that we are people with a king. Jesus. We belong to him. He's the one, if we continue and read what he talks about that just a little bit later, he says he's going to transform in verse 21 of chapter 3 our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We are a people under authority. Not mine, not Trump or whoever else you may be thinking, we are a people under authority, and that authority belongs to Jesus. And in that, we come together and try to solve things. Listen, how would that look practically? Listen, I know we're disagreeing right now. We have a same king. We have a same person who rules over us. Let's remember that when we're talking about this. As we're disagreeing, let's honor him. He's the one we're living for. We belong to him. Our position is fellow heirs of Christ. Does that make sense? Why is that so important to do? Does, are, are there any other illustrations of Paul ever dealing with people that maybe dealt with an important but non-theological issue previously? I would even argue somewhat theologically. In Romans 14, 3-4, four, listen to how Paul talks to a group of people that were disagreeing on an issue. Let not the one who eats. There's an issue of eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols or not eating meat. And he says, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains from eating the meat pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. He belongs to him. He has a position in Christ. And then he says this: listen, who are you to pass judgment on a servant of the another? We need to listen to that. When there are disagreements between us, we belong to a king. And I need to remember that. I need to remember that this person belongs to Christ, they need to answer to him alone. I belong to Christ and I answer to him. And we encourage one another in that position. We take a common position, so to speak. So my question that I think would be asked of not only the Philippians, but even to us this morning, are you willing to let Jesus determine whether your brother or sister in Christ will stand or fall on an issue? Are you willing to surrender that? Surrender control and go, listen, you belong to a king. I belong to the king. We want to respond to him in a way that honors him. Are you willing to do that? Release that. Release your brother or sister. Are you willing to see them as a dearly loved and longed for brother? Are you willing to look at the issue that may be different than you think and say? And that if there is a difference, that the Lord would reveal that on that issue. Boy, that almost sounds like really smart, doesn't it? That the Lord would reveal to you something that we may disagree But it's not my own words, it's Paul's. He says that previously in chapter three. He looks at a group of people and and he says, listen, this whole issue is, uh, let those of us who are mature, verse 15, chapter three, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Are you willing to release that and go, we disagree on this issue, but I trust that you belong to him. You want to honor him. And I'm willing to go, listen, would God reveal our differences on that? It's not just agreeing to disagree. That's not what I'm talking about. Or even to say, you know what? I know I'm right, and I'm sure they're right, but everybody's right. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we're actually coming together and saying, I don't know if we have enough information right now to make that decision, but I'm willing to trust that God would reveal that to us and help us move forward together does that make sense? so positionally Paul talks to this group of people how else does he address this with the, with the folks number four I think yeah is uh, affectionately we good number four maybe maybe not yeah oh yeah somebody's helping me out yeah affectionately there we go. Ah, oh, they, were, they were helping some kids out. I get it. So affectionately, well, how does that, what does that have to do with anything? Affectionately, look how Paul opens up this paragraph. Now we're actually finally back into the text, right? Therefore, my brothers whom I, listen to how he describes them. My brothers whom I love and long for. My joy and crown. See, joy for Paul, as he's been talking through all of Philippians, joy is not a circumstance that happens. It's people. It's people. My joy, my crown. That that crown is that laurel wreath that they they would hand to an athlete after competing a prize for winning. And he's saying, you, you are my crown. You're my joy. And he encourages them to stand, my beloved Talks to them as brothers, as beloved, as my joy, my crown, whom I long and love, long for and love. Why is that important? Again, how easy is it in disputes to make that other person the one that needs vanquishing? There can be only one. (laughs) And it will be me. Instead of saying, let's come together as one. And agree in the Lord. I love you. You're my brother. But how often when I'm in a disagreement with someone else, my emotions start taking control and I look at that person as an enemy. I look at that person as someone who is against me. I look at that person and I go, man, they'd they'd be so much better if they would just get along with me. My emotions take control and all of a sudden loving that person goes right out the window and I'm not looking out for, I'm not caring for that person, even though I'm going up to them and I may even be telling them the truth, but I don't do it out of love for that brother, to be reconciled with that brother. And he's looking at this person who's going to come along and help them agree and go, listen, I love you all as a church. Who did that include? You and yeah, right? The, those two, right? It includes those two. It includes those two who are causing problems in the church. And he looks and he says, I love you. I long for you. I want you to get along. Do you have that same care and compassion with others that you disagree with? Would God reveal that to you? Would God, as shepherds here of the church, do we come along to help? Do we have that same care and compassion for the the flock here to go, I'm going to step in the gap on this issue. I'm going to help out because I love them. As a leader of a small group, do you come in because you love them, not just to be right or be vindicated in what you think, but because you love that person and you want to see God's best for them. Paul loved this church. He loved them deeply, longed for them, and calls them so. How else before I get too big on a, on a soapbox. Wooingly. Wooingly. Well, how on earth do we see him encouraging wooingly? What on earth does that even mean? He says, "I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord." When Paul talks to these two, is he ushering a command for them to get together and agree in the Lord? Is that his tone? No. And if you hear that, that's not how it's in the Greek. He's sharing his desire, he's coming alongside these people. He loves these people. And he's trying to woo them into this is where green pasture is. Agree in the Lord. I'm entreating you. I'm doing what I can to try to convey to you, this is where life is. Don't stay over there. Don't stay divided. That's only going to end in death. Come back over here. He's not issuing a command from a position of authority going, you need to listen to me, dang it. He's coming down with them and going, oh, my brothers, the ones that I love, don't do this. Agree in the Lord. This is how we can glorify Jesus Christ. This is how we actually represent to a world what he's done for us. Not by standing in opposition to one another, but he woos them to this place of of, of agreeing in, in the Lord. He doesn't stand over them. He does it wooingly. Well, do you have the same patience to entreat or to woo your brother or sister in Christ to getting along? Or do you need to take a power move with them? Like I sometimes do with my kid, dang it, listen to me, I'm the parent. Listen to me, I'm the grow group leader. Listen to me, I'm the shepherd. Listen to me, I'm a leader in the church. Or do you come alongside that person and say, I love you as a brother I love you as a sister. Let's not do this. We belong to a king positionally. Let's agree on this in the Lord. And we come together for a solution. And we woo them to Christ, to what is right. Well, what else can we look at here? I know there's more. There's eight. Hang in there, folks. Directly. Man, isn't this the one that most of us try to avoid? Anytime there's conflict, how many of you in here, well, actually, I won't ask for a raise of hands, love conflict? You thought I was going a different way. How many of you just absolutely cringe at conflict? And you're like, oh man, another conflict. I can so relate with that. Conflict is not fun. But Paul is willing to actually not just say, hey, I entreat you as a church, generally, I hope you all can kind of get get along here. What does he do? He deals with the issue directly. You and syndicate, right? You two women. Get along. He deals with this directly. He knows this is a hard issue. He's not going to beat around the bush. He's not going to go talk about side issues. He wants to deal with this issue directly. We owe that to one another to deal with it directly. If you're in a disagreement with someone, go talk to that person. If you're having problems with it, it might be good to find someone else who can help you in that situation. Not help you get your way, by the way. Does that make sense? Help you honor Christ. We belong to him. We're citizens of him. Does it directly. This wasn't a time to let all heal, or time heals all wounds. This was a time for a shepherd to come in and take action. Shepherds, are you okay going into something knowing that there's conflict? Leaders here at Cheyenne Berean, are you okay with stepping into when there's a conflict and dealing with it directly? That's what Paul's asking in this issue. Number seven, collaboratively. How does Paul deal with collaboratively? He says... Yes, I also ask you, true suzagos. is that Greek word, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. He does this collaboratively. He can see sometimes there's situations that come up, and and, and I'm trying to find resolution, and, and, and maybe I'm not able to do this. Maybe it's time when I go, maybe we need some help. We want to honor Christ and Paul's looking and saying, listen, I know that there's a situation that's bigger than you right now. You, elder, it's time for you to step in and help them. And so he gives this advice for them. And how, how do we get along? Sometimes we do this collaboratively. But then, not only collaboratively involving others, but what else does Paul do? Do you notice how he's talking to these two people and how he's talking to Goss? Who are these people? They are people that have labored alongside me. They've been people on mission with me. They've been people on mission with Clement. They've been people on mission with my other co-workers. We're in this together. Remembering that. This is something that we need to do together, to come together collaboratively to fix this issue. And he's encouraging a church to deal with it in that way, side by side, battling as one. We talked about that, Was it what that word means. Battling as one, together for the gospel. And then finally, the last one that we would throw in here is respectfully. Well, how do you see respectfully? See, he looks at this person and says, I want you to go in. You need to know who you're dealing with. You're dealing with two people who have labored side by side with me. Paul, I love these people. Yes, they're causing a pain in the church right now. But they're people who have labored alongside me. I love these people. Who are they? Their names are in the book of life. They've been blood bought. They're believers. See, sometimes I think things that can happen in this and and disagreements, and I've even seen people approach people on areas that they disagree. Sometimes I can go, man, they're really bombing it. I wonder if they're even saved. Paul doesn't do that. He looks at these two people and he goes, these are two people who have labored side by side. I know who they are. They belong to the king. Their names are written in the book of life. Treat them as such. Respect them as people of the king. They're in Christ. That's what unites them. That's what unites us. Treat them as so. But you want to know what? This isn't something respectfully. Sometimes there's disagreements that you may even have with people who are lost. That's not what Paul's dealing with here. But I want to encourage you with this. Sometimes as we're talking with people who disagree with us, that's the first thing that goes out the window. You go, well, wait a minute. I don't respect their religion. I'm not asking you to respect their religion or, or thoughts or ideas. But you do have to respect them. You have to deal with them Respectfully. They're made in the image of God. They are a creature of His. Treat them as such. Everyone. They may be a person of the King who has been blood-bought, who has placed their faith in Christ. Treat them as such. They belong to Him. One of the things that I know about my wife is this. She's an heir of the King. How I treat her? is as an heir of the king. She belongs to Jesus. I don't want to abuse her. Why? Is it just because I'm worried about what people will think? No, I know that there's a God who sees how I treat my wife. She is an heir of the king. She belongs to him. And I treat her as such. I treat her respectfully. Mostly when we disagree. Now, when we disagree. So let's look at all of the things that we talked about this morning. Facilitating harmony. Understand, these two women, they are believers. What's the issue that's facing them? This, This isn't necessarily a doctrinal issue. We don't know what the issue may be. But how does he give encouragement to this person to deal with this? Humbly? From the whole context of Philippians? Dependently? Independence on the Holy Spirit as we interact, knowing I need wisdom from Jesus on this. I need to do it positionally, understanding they belong to Jesus. We are fellow heirs of Christ, we're citizens of heaven. I also deal with it affectionately. I love this person. I don't want them to just agree with me. I love this person. I want to honor Christ together. I do it wooingly. I'm not just telling them what to do. I'm coming alongside that person and encouraging them in the right way. I'm doing it directly. I'm not beating around the bush. I'm not even being passive and ignoring it. Collaboratively, coming together for the sake of the gospel and respectfully, understanding who they are, who they are in Christ or if it's somebody that you're dealing with that's not saved, they are a creature made in the image of God. Treat them as such, with respect. We have to do this as a church. Have to do this as a church. This, this is how Christ will be glorified. As we, as we do this, as we humbly, dependently, positionally, affectionately, wooingly, directly, collaboratively, and respectfully treat one another here in church. What, what is observed? What happens? Do you know what I think is observed from John? They will know they belong to me, Jesus, by what? Their love for one another. And that's what that looks like. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you that you give us instruction on how to agree in the Lord. Jesus, sometimes there are big disagreements that happen here in church. And sometimes it's over everything from method of schooling, homeschooling, or not homeschooling, or, or, or other things. Oh, God, don't let there be division and disunity and disharmony over these issues. Maybe it's over drinking. Can I drink or not drink? Maybe it's over other issues that, 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 that I can't even think of all the different ones. But God, help us to come together as people who belong to you, who want to honor you. Help us to do it humbly, in dependence on you. Affectionately, help us. In your son Jesus' name, amen.